as I went through rehab, which was very challenging, I realized there's no way I could go back to a full-time job because I had to go back to that wellness story. I had to focus on myself. And that was gonna take a lot of energy and a lot of time. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it, a story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank and may lose value. Welcome, listeners. I'm Renee Cordes with the Main Biz Podcast team, speaking today with Jonathan Ayers, the former chairman, president, and CEO of IDEX Laboratories, a global veterinary diagnostics and software firm based in Westbrook. He's going to tell us how his life's path took an unexpected turn after a catastrophic bike accident in 2019 and about finding new purpose in a cause close to his heart. He's joining us from his home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to talk about what happened, how the accident changed him, and what he's doing now. Jonathan uh, Ayers, thank you very much for joining us. It's an honor to have you on our show. My pleasure. So first of all, many of our listeners in Maine know you from IDEX Laboratories. For people who are not familiar with the company, uh, can you just give us a brief um, introduction? What does IDEX do? Yeah, sure. Well, I, uh, I came to Maine in 2002 uh, to be CEO of IDEX. It was a, a small but rapidly growing company at the time. And IDEX focuses on uh, veterinary medicine and providing diagnostic and software technology to uh, veterinarians who, of course, take care of our family pets. IDEX has always been the leader from both an innovation, new product development, and, and market uh, leader in that area. And of course, as we all know, um, it's grown quite a bit. The pet healthcare in general has grown quite a bit, and the diagnostics is the fastest growing area. And, and IDEX has uh, both spurred that growth and also uh, been a beneficiary of that. Very much so. And so walk us back a bit. How did you land at IDEX in the first place? I know you were previously at a very different company, a carrier corporation, before you joined IDEX in 2002. So how did IDEX get on your radar? Yeah, so I mean, I have a pretty eclectic background even before carrier and then United Technologies. I spent nine years on on Wall Street at Morgan Stanley and went to business school and worked in a at Bain and Company strategy consulting firm. So I had a broad-based business background and I was recruited to IDEX because of my business capability and my uh, experience in being a general manager. And uh, IDEX was looking for a successor to David Shaw, who had founded the company and done, you know, amazing things in creating the company. But at that point, he decided that he um, really wanted to do something different. And they were looking for somebody who could pick up where he left off. So uh, it was, uh, I didn't have any background 
uh, in in veterinary uh, diagnostics or even healthcare, but I do have an undergraduate degree in biochemistry uh, and a love of science and innovation, and uh, and I'm a, I'm a I'm a quick learner, so uh, it was a lot of fun from the beginning. And also uh, very much an animal person. So was that also part of the attraction of going to IDEX? Well, it is. You know, I, I, I'm a cat person in particular. I mean, while I like dogs, I'm, I, I'm a cat person. I've always liked, really liked cats. And, uh, you know, I had three, three children and three young daughters and three cats at the time I joined uh, IDEX. And it turns out those cats played a, a major role at IDEX because I'd always feature them. And as they got <laughs> older, they were beneficiaries of, of IDEX's technology and probably lived a few years longer than they would have otherwise as a result of, uh, of IDEX. Great. Yeah. And so you led this company for, for 17 years. So what were some of the, uh, some of the biggest challenges uh, that you faced, you know, leading this global company that was really growing exponentially? Well, you know, uh, it wasn't apparent to people uh, when I came that had this growth opportunity. In fact, the general consensus was um, the growth was over at IDEX. It had a rapid period of growth in the 1990s, uh, and then it had slowed when I took it over. And the consensus was kind of like, you know, the growth was over. And so I believe differently. Uh, I believe there was a significant opportunity if we focused on our customers and we focused on uh, our innovation. And so really, actually, one of the challenges was just getting people to to buy into that vision and I kept on saying, you know, I, at one point we said, I have a blue, blueprint to a billion. And uh, <laughs> that blueprint was like a billion dollars in revenues. And we were, I don't know, four or 500 million at the time. People go, a billion, we can be a billion dollars. You know, it was like the first time they ever thought about that. Well, we blew through that blueprint faster than we ever realized, I think in 20, uh, 2008 or 2009. And, and even in 2009, with a great recession, we grew 5%. But it was continually getting people to believe that there was a great growth opportunity ahead of us. And that actually was a challenge for the whole period. I mean, even, even towards the end, people say, well, is the growth over? You know, and I, I always said, no, it's where I think we're still early stages. <laughs> and how did you keep that, you know, sustainable and manageable? Well, I think uh, success builds success. And as people realize we can, you know, we can inspire uh, veterinarians to provide a higher standard of care that pet owners will pay for and they, they could see that happening, um, then that success created confidence to continue to reinvest in the business. And tell us a little bit about the, the workplace culture that you instilled. Well, yeah, I, I'd say, uh, first of all, the IDEX always had an innovative culture. And uh, so I promoted that. And we maybe continued to, you know, you have to continue to change. Careful what you wish for just may just may happen and we wish for growth and then it happened and you know as companies grow they have to change the way they manage and they have to be a little bit more organized about it but we always had that innovative culture and it was about continuing to promote that culture and take prudent risks growth is about visualizing the future and then taking risks to making it happen and you 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 you're going to have to say hey, I'm going to invest. I don't exactly know how this return is going to happen, but I think there is going to be a return and we can't analyze it because you can't analyze growth. You just have to kind of go for it. And, uh, and then, you know, and then it happens and you go through that whole cycle again. 
you see another opportunity for growth, you make that investment and you learn from that. And I know that, you know, employee wellness uh, was very much a priority. You know, I've seen the the on-site, the on-premises fitness center, and you also practice what you preach, right? I know that you set an example, you were an amateur athlete. So tell us about that part of your life. I came to the conclusion, and actually many of our senior staff came to the conclusion, probably around 2009 and 2010, that if we didn't take care of ourselves, we couldn't do our jobs well. And so the first priority and, and we couldn't even take care of our families. So the first priority has to be your own wellness. And everybody has their own uh, wellness journey, but it is investing in yourself. It's taking care of yourself. And I went through a major transformation um, in that period of time when I started cycling. Uh, I lost 50 pounds uh, and I started to gain strength. And, you know, I just, I was just a healthier person. And uh, so uh, Did it also you know, help you be a, a better leader and better in your business, you know, to... Oh, absolutely. I, I had, you know, I always thought, well, if I spend time taking care of myself, that's going to take away from my family. It's going to take away from, you know, from my dedication to my career. But it turned out just to be the opposite. That actually gave me more energy uh, to uh, pursue my goals. And, you know, being the CEO of a rapidly growing publicly traded company is stressful. Um, it, it's just, it, it, it's just, you, you know, you have a huge burden on, on your shoulders. And in order to manage that stress, you know, I used uh, fitness and cycling and, you know, focus on my health and well-being as a, as a way to manage that stress. And you encouraged employees to do the same. You... Well, when we built a major expansion, we put the health club right in the middle. And so we had a kind of a common gathering place, which we called the, uh, fancy word for a cafeteria and right there was the uh was the wellness center so it was prominent and we made it very easy for people to uh and we encourage people to take a break in the middle of the day or the beginning of their day or the end of the day or whenever it worked out for them to uh invest in themselves and that usually made them you know a better employee as well as a you know healthier person Great. So um, in April 2019, uh, you were still at the company at that time, you and your wife established a foundation to support uh, the conservation of wild cats uh, that you endowed with a gift, I believe, of IDEX stock. Um, so tell us first what kind of cats we're talking about when we refer to wild cats. Yeah, and people, it's interesting, people kind of get confused about that. When I say I'm investing in wild cats, they go, uh, what, what, what does that mean, wildcat? Does that mean like um, feral cats? No, <laughs> no, we're not talking about feral domestic cats. Uh, well, does that mean like lions and tigers in the zoo? Well, those are wild cats, but they're not in the wild. Uh, I'm talking about the ones where they started from, you know, in the wild, in the diverse ecosystems around the world. And it turns out there are 40 species of wildcats and they're all under threat. And so, you know, I love nature. And I love cats, and so I I created this foundation. And fortunately, you know, IDEX had been very very successful, and I had invested in the stock along the way. So I took some of that stock to to create the foundation. And the foundation is very narrow focused: conservation of uh, of wild cats and the ecosystems um, upon which they depend, because they need space, you know, to 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 live. And um, so uh, it was my way to start thinking about philanthropy and start giving back 
after you know already had a very successful business career. Right. We'll talk more about cats in a little bit, but first there was a very unexpected event in June 2019 that for you truly turned out to be the chain the day that changed everything. Tell us about that. Well, the theme of your podcast exactly applies to me because it literally was a day of a catastrophic and debilitating accident that left me paralyzed uh, below the neck. And um, it, uh, you know, it was a day that really changed everything. And I, I didn't fully appreciate, you know, what, what was going to be entailed after the accident. I just knew it was a very, very serious thing. And, you know, I, we announced it. I went on leave of absence. Fortunately, I had a very strong um, number two who was able to step into my shoes as an interim CEO. But, you know, the nature of my accident, which involved uh, breaking my neck, but more importantly, a spinal cord injury, is you don't really know how it's going to how it's going to heal or not or whether it's going to heal at all or what direction you're going to go every spinal cord injury is different and so i figured at first okay i got a spinal cord injury i'll go through you know four or five months of rehab okay i'll be in a wheelchair but then you know i'll be back to my job well that could have happened but that's not how it happened you know as i went through rehab which was very challenging I realized there's no way I could go back to a full-time job because I had to go back to that wellness story. I had to focus on myself and that was going to take a lot of energy and a lot of time. And so we ultimately concluded in the fall of 2019 that I was going to retire and my successor would, would, you know, step into the CEO uh, role full-time. And, uh, you know, of course that's worked out very well and the company has continued to flourish and that's given me, I've stayed on the board, of course, but it's given me time to uh, focus on my rehabilitation. Right. And and tell us just briefly what you remember about that day and, and how this happened. I know you didn't. You said you didn't lose consciousness, so you remember a lot of details about it. So yeah, I mean, it was it, it was like a crash that, that didn't involve any cars. It involved another bike uh, that uh, fell in front of me, and I hit it and flipped over and landed on my head and fortunately I had a really good helmet. So my head was fine. Um, and you, know, you were right, with a group of, of cyclists. I, I was with a group uh, of 15 cyclists and uh, right there in, in on route 77 in KP. Uh, I remember uh, yeah, the what, what, uh, a woman in the, uh, in the group had the presence of mind say, well, can you tell me your wife's telephone number? And uh, I rattled it off. Not only did I rattle it off, uh, you know, like many people, she had, we had both a landline and a, and a cell phone. And I had the presence of mind to give her my landline because I knew she would answer it. I knew she might not necessarily be next to her cell phone. And so I went through all that mental processing while I was there flying, flying on my back in the pavement, you know, completely paralyzed. And I remember writing to Maine Med who did a, who did a great job with the, uh, you know, surgeries and, and other things that were entailed in the first day or two. So yeah, I, I, I was conscious, but you know, when you go through something like people say, well, what were you thinking about? Were you thinking about it? You know, I was just trying to get through every minute. Sure. You know, it, it's a, it's a very tough thing to go through. And, um, I just knew I was out of commission, you know, and I told my, you know, I called it, I had a message into my, 
come back and said, I've been in a bike accident. Oh, you've been in a bike. No, no, no. I've been in a really bad bike accident. You got to like take action now. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, and then. You knew. What's that? Changed. You knew. I knew. Actually, I had to go through an MRI that day. And uh, they had to do a full body MRI to see what kind of injuries I had. And um, it took two and a half hours. And, and when I came out, uh, the tech said, well, what were you doing in there? What were you thinking about? And, you know, the thing is, I was completely paralyzed. So I, I didn't have any claustrophobia because I couldn't move. So that wasn't a problem. I said, well, I was trying to plan my new life, <laughs> you know, which is what I've been doing since then, trying to plan my new life. And what were those first few weeks, those first few months like? Um, you were recuperating at home or were you in the hospital for an extended length of time? Well, Maymed did a great job. But one of the things, the most important thing they said to me is, we're not a spinal cord injury rehab place. You got to get yourself to a really good place. And um, so we worked really hard to get myself ultimately to Shepherd Center in Atlanta, which is, you know, one of the top spinal cord injury rehab locations in the country. Uh, and uh, we got down there within two weeks and I was there almost four months in kind of acute, acute. Rehab is really the wrong word because you don't go back to normal. You just learn how to deal with your new, you know, your new body. And, um, and, and you do progress. You just don't know how fast you're gonna progress. But and then I learned a lot about what I had to deal with while I was there. And then I, I came back to Maine in, uh, in November to uh, continue my rehab at home with, uh, with a bunch of therapists. And you, this accident basically left you paralyzed from the neck down, is that right? Yeah, well, so sometimes things come back and you never know what's gonna come back. In my case, I've gotten most of my shoulder muscles back. They're not all that super strong. You know, I should say the nerves aren't strong. But I've, I've got, you know, motion in my shoulders and my arms. I don't have any, I can't use my fingers. They're limp. So there's a lot of things you can't do without fingers. Uh, and I don't have any, uh, any function below my, uh, uh, below my core. I did get, I've gotten some core muscles back, which is kind of interesting because those are below the level of what we call level of injury, meaning they're nerves that seem to have survived the, you know, the, the injury in the, in the spinal cord. Um, so that's actually helped me a lot. Um, and they came back 15 months after the accident. I mean, wow. who knew? I mean, you just don't know. That's a good example of how you don't really know how things are going to develop. But I do know if I work on rehab and I'm continuing to do 25 hours a week of rehab, I will continue to progress and get more adapted to the condition. So you talked about how uh, immediately after the accident, you know, IEDEX appointed an interim, uh, interim chief, interim CEO and president. And then four months after the accident, you stepped down as president and CEO. Did, did that feel very abrupt? Was that a strange break with a company that you had spent 17 years of your life leading? It did. And I just want to comment that, you know, I was thinking about step down is kind of a funny word because I, I don't do any stepping right now. So, you know, we use the term because that's the term people use, but right. I, I more like consider roll off, you know, that okay. <laughs> or, or, or as a friend of mine said, actually, you're just becoming a chairman of a different kind, you know, being in a chair. So uh, 
but it was, I like that. <laughs> yeah, chairman of instead of being a chairman of the company, you're a chairman of a different kind. But um, <laughs> no, it was a big. That was a big loss because I didn't have any. I enjoyed my job tremendously, uh, and I didn't wasn't planning on retiring. I mean, I was 63 at the time, but I wasn't planning on retiring. I was totally committed to the job, and you know, and it was me who made the conclusion I can't can't go forward but it was a big that was a big deal for me that I just lost my purpose you know other than my family I lost my purpose and what I had really dedicated myself to and um so that was a big transition and then you when did you move to Florida you you left Maine and and moved to Florida. Well, just this uh, just this spring, I I, uh, I moved to Florida. I've got access to really great medical and and aid resources down here. My brother lives here in in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, you know when you're quadriplegic, getting dressed for the winter is not a trivial activity. And uh, down here, you can roll out of the house and enjoy the outdoors. You know most days of the year, so. It just seemed to be a much better place to be, given this was going to be the way I was am for the rest of my life. And don't have to worry about uh, these main winters uh, anymore. So, yes. but you're you're still very much involved uh, with IDEX. Um, yeah, I'm very proud of how the company has continued to run. Of course, I retired for, formally as CEO in in November. I stayed on the board, and then of course COVID hit the following uh, okay. March and. Um, you know, I've continued to provide support as a board member, but that's totally different than being CEO. We're now going to stop and take a, a very brief break here from one of our sponsors. Then we'll hear what happened next and your work now on behalf of Global Wildcat Conservation uh, through your own foundation and an organization called Panthera. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, you've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. I had this injury, I retired from IDEX. Now what? I'm still here. What is my purpose? Jonathan, you were just telling us uh, that you're still involved in IDEX um, as a board member and certainly keeping um, tabs on how the company is doing. Um, are, are you also in touch with your successor, Jay Mazelski, from time to time? Oh yeah, Jay and I are very close and, uh, and uh, I've also been a senior advisor to the company over this period of time. And uh, but I've really been proud of how how he's uh, stepped in, really picked up where I left off. Uh, the company continues its amazing uh, growth, uh, and as I said, it really accelerated in growth through the uh, COVID period, which you know we wouldn't have wanted it to happen, but but it's actually been uh, really really good for the IDEX's business. I think the hard thing is everybody working remote, and uh, I think. At some point, people are going to really enjoy seeing each other again. Definitely. But fortunately, we have technology, which also allows uh, this conversation to, to happen. Yeah, I want to comment on that. You know, again, there's silver lining to every cloud. And, um, you know, I'm not able to travel. 
I can't, it's just very challenging for me to, you know, even go in my van to a local place like a doctor's office or something. But now everybody's so familiar with video conferencing, whether it's Zoom or some of these other technologies, you know, I can be highly effective and, and not leave my house. Uh, and that's a huge change that has uniquely benefited me as somebody who, you know, still has a brain, but can't travel. Uh, I, can, I can accomplish a lot just from my computer. So I've been very grateful for that. Definitely. And, and what is sort of a daily life for you like today? I think you've mentioned you have about 24, 25 hours a week of, of physical therapy. Yeah, that's really, you know, it's a major part-time job um, and everything takes a little bit longer, but that does give me a couple hours a day to do other things and, you know, su such as serving on the Addicts board, which doesn't take a great deal of time. And then, uh, you know, there's a kind of a big hole. Okay. You know, I, I had this injury. I retired from IDEX. Now what? You know, I'm still here. Uh, what is my purpose? And um, that's where the whole uh, involvement in Wildcat, that as you mentioned, I had started before I got injured. Right. Came, you know, as I was sitting there in the rehab hospital, it was like, you know, well, what is, what is my purpose? And I started to get much more involved in uh, wildcat conservation. And I went on the board of Panthera um, last fall and I was quickly elevated to uh, chairman of the fan finance and audit committee because nobody knew finance and audit. And I knew a lot about finance um, having run a publicly traded company. And um, then I've just gotten more and more involved in uh, the stewardship of a company from a, from a board point of view. So tell us a bit, uh, a little bit about uh, Panthera. Uh, I understand it's the world's only organization devoted exclusively to the conservation of, I think, 40 wildcat species and their ecosystems. So tell us what Panthera does. The Panthera started with the insight that cats are at the top, usually at the top of the food chain. And so you can think of food chain as another word for a, an ecosystem or for biodiversity. And if you have, you know, ecosystem where wildcats are thriving, then you know the entire ecosystem is healthy. So mm -hmm. they are an indicator species or a flagship species. And so by focusing on wildcat conservation, you're focusing on the health of the, uh, uh, of the, of the whole biodiversity of uh, you know, of a particular region. And cats are all over the world. They, they inhabit 30% of the landmass. Uh, and uh, they, at one point, inhabited a lot more than that. And they're all still, all 40 species that have been identified are still around. They're not extinct, but uh, they could go extinct uh, if we don't focus on uh, conservation and how to have human and cats coexist. And that's entirely doable. It's in this whole category of, um, of nature and conservation called species uh, conservation, focusing on species so that they don't go extinct. And, and what are some examples of, of, of these species? I mean, I think people probably know leopards, panthers, but there probably are some obscure ones as well. Who... Well, yeah, the, the, the big, there are the, the seven big cats 
and uh, lions and tigers um, and leopards, jaguars and snow leopards are a, uh, they're actually the genus of the cat family called Panthera, which is what Panthera is named after. And then the two other big cats, one that we are familiar with in the United States would be the uh, Puma, otherwise known as the mountain lion or panther or cougar. Those are all the same species. And, uh, and then the cheetah is sort of a genetic freak of nature, um, but that's the seventh big cat. But there are 33 species of small cats that are not well known. And even though the amount of conservation devoted to if money funding devoted to cats is too small by large, 99% of it goes to the big cats and only 1% goes to these 33 species of smaller cats. These would be things like ocelot or clouded leopard or the margay that climbs down trees head first um, because they've evolved to uh, turn their hind legs 180 degrees backwards and hang on to the tree like a <laughs> monkey. Uh, I mean, wow. there's just the number of a fishing cat, which is part cat, part fish. I'm sort of kidding, but that's how they, what they <laughs> eat. They know how to swim. Cats don't normally like swimming, but Fishing cats love swimming. So all these different variations of the cat family, they're just amazing creatures of evolution. And you've really uh, become an expert in. Well, that's what I do. I, I, I become an expert in something I'm passionate about. I, I take the time to, I'm a professional learner. You know, same thing with IDEX. I, I became an expert in, you know, the, the technology of the company. Now I'm, now I'm a sort of, amateur biologist and become an expert with uh with all these cats around the world and so tell us about your support of panther i know you're through your foundation you made a 20 million dollar contribution but your commitment uh goes goes beyond money so tell us a bit more about that and the committee that you're involved yeah with. so it turns out that philanthropy is something you have to learn you just it's hard to give away money responsibly and actually have any confidence of being used correctly. So you just can't give it away. You actually have to oversee how you're giving it away. And mm -hmm. so it's like a new area. It's a new skill for me. And I've learned a lot about um, philanthropy through this exercise. And I don't just support Panthera. I support other organizations too, but Panthera is sure. the, the, the main one. And you mentioned the $20 million commitment that I've made over the next 10 years. I mean, that's it's probably going to be a lot more than that. But fortunately, because IDEX has been so successful, you know, I still own a lot of IDEX stock and I can use that to support this focused effort on, on conservation. But it's not just the financials. It is the intellectual capital. You know, these conservationists, they're great scientists. Mm -hmm. But you know what? You need organization. You need leadership skills. You need finance skills. And those are kind of in short supply in nonprofits. Right. And yet that's what I can bring. I don't know a whole lot, and I'm never going to go to some rainforest to see cats again, not my condition, but I know a whole lot about leadership and mm -hmm. organizational growth. I know how to grow an organization, and I know the, how to make it strong financially so it has the resources to invest in conservation. And so... Um, it's really transferring those skills from from business to uh, to an you know as we call a non-governmental organization or an NGO that's involved in uh, you know in, in this case uh, wildcat conservation.
And that's something you're sort of learning as you go. There's no one who tells you how to be a philanthropist, right? I, that, well, that's, that's true. I mean, and, but that's what it was like at IDEX. It was learning, you know, I didn't, I didn't start in, in, in uh, the veterinary field. Um, mm -hmm. So I learned as I went. I am really, really grateful that Panthera existed and, and, and needed me because it's therapy. Mm -hmm. It's therapy to have a purpose. It's what keeps me going through the challenges of my condition. Uh, and so I am extraordinarily grateful that Panthera was there and, you know, could use my, my skills. That's turning out to be just a wonderful uh, partnership. I think I've asked you this before. Can you name your favorite wild cat or is that impossible? You know, it's or like your asking, spirit animal, maybe one that you. <laughs> it was asking you which is your favorite child. So um, <laughs> I love them all. They're all incredibly cute. Some are, you know, super cute. I I, I love the the what we call the abril species, which are the tree loving ones. Uh, and there are three that have evolved to spend quite a bit of their time in trees: the margay, the clouded leopard, and the marble cat. And those all three have evolved to be able to climb up and down trees head first. So I think those are pretty cool. I just saw this the other day, an interesting animal fact. This is animal fact number 25, apparently. <laughs> Not all bobcats are named Bob. Oh, okay. <laughs> so bobcat is a endemic uh, North American species. It's not particularly endangered, but we don't know that much about the bobcat but it's an important part of the ecosystem. We have bobcats here, here in Maine. In fact, a friend of mine uh, got hit by it, but when he was on his bike, he got hit by a bobcat running across the road. Oh my goodness, uh, gosh. <laughs> I know, right there in Cape Elizabeth, actually right near where I crashed. It happened to him uh, about a year earlier. Um, but, you know, bobcats are an part, important part of the ecosystem and they're one of the small cats. Good. And um, good. Well, I think we're going to take another very short break and then we'll wrap up the, um, the interview with some lessons and takeaways of which I'm sure there are many. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. I think I was pretty typical that I was so focused on business success and accumulating wealth, and I was successful beyond my wildest dreams in doing so. But it takes time to learn how to be a philanthropist. And my advice is start somewhere. We are finishing up today with Jonathan Ayers and just talking about the work that you're doing um, with Panthera. So looking back at your life before and after the bike accident, we've talked about the, the physical debilitation. What would you say has changed the most on the inside? Yeah, so I am a purpose-driven guy. And while I didn't plan for this to happen, I am grateful that I have a new purpose. And I think that's kind of what gets us through life is when we have a dream or a vision 
and then you know we focus on it and uh, that can evolve over the course of our lives but it's what it's what keeps me going because obviously a pretty catastrophic experience uh, for anyone and and quite frankly many people really don't do that well through it and you know because it's, it is so challenging but by having something out there that you want to live for it makes it easier to get through the tough times right and and what is uh, the prognosis for your recovery well look i'm always gonna i well some people say oh you'll walk again sunday well that that's probably not going to happen although i can't entirely rule it out um, but probably not going to happen. So I'll always be in a in a wheelchair. I'll always been a power wheelchair. I mean, people. I didn't have any idea there was a difference between a a manual wheelchair and a a power wheelchair. A manual wheelchair is when you have full upper body function, and you know you just lost your ability to walk. Um, whereas a power wheelchair, you know, you don't have strength to even turn the wheels. So I'll, I'll probably always be in a power wheelchair, but. You know, I plan on taking care of myself and back to our earlier conversation, focus on my health and well-being. And and I would expect to have a normal life. And that's going to give me time to pursue this. uh, I've been focused on business for 40 years. Right. And now and it was also about how to do better and better in business. And, you know, one of the hallmarks of being a good business person is you you accumulate wealth. Well, now I'm in the wealth distribution phase, you know, (laughs) and that's a big change. Uh, But I got to, I want to distribute it and I want to distribute it while I'm alive. It's a completely different outlook on life. Uh, But it's something I I plan to do for as long as I am able. And I, I would hope that would be a normal lifespan. Right. You were mentioning earlier uh, a book you wrote about life in, in transitions and, you can very much identify. Yeah, it's a book I read that was uh, published and about people who go through major transitions in their life, whether it's, you know, death of a spouse or some other catastrophic or just other kinds of transitions and totally changes their life. And the average amount of time it takes for somebody to go through that transition is five years. And as we speak here, I'm not even at my two-year anniversary. So and it's a big transition for my family and my wife. So we're all kind of getting used to the new reality. And, uh, you know, we have to realize that's a process. They say that, uh, you know, you've heard the saying, we've all heard the saying, when one door closes, another one opens. It doesn't right. give you much comfort at the time that the door closes. But the corollary to that is, and sometimes it can get messy in the hallway. <laughs> you know, that's part of that transition process is... Uh, is letting go. And -hmm. I've had to let go of a lot physically. Mm -hmm. I had to let go of my job. I had to let go of, well, just you name it. I had had a lot of things I had to let go. But then, you know, there's still things I can do. So then I focus on the things that I can do. Uh, And that's the, you know, that's the getting through the hallway to the door that opens. Good, good lesson for, for anybody. And any sort of other advice you would give to business leaders, uh, you know, who are thinking they want more purpose uh, in their life or to share uh, some of their wealth for a nonprofit cause they believe yeah, in? I think it's a great question. And, you know, I, I think I was pretty typical that I was so focused on business success 
that and accumulating wealth and I was successful beyond my wildest dreams in doing so. But you, it takes time to learn how to be a philanthropist. And my advice is, you know, that's gonna that start, start somewhere. Um, you know, join your local hospital board or whatever it is that you know you're passionate about, and start learning because there's going to be a point in time when that may be your major focus. And you can't just all of a sudden say, oh, well, now this is what I'm going to do because you won't have developed the skills to doing it. And the more successful you are, the more important it is that you start developing those skills. You know, I look at somebody like Elon Musk, all of a sudden he's phenomenally successful and all of a sudden he wants to be a philanthropist. He doesn't really have the skills yet. It's going to take him time to do it. He'll figure mm -hmm. it out, but it's going to take him some time to do something like that. You know, you look at like Warren Buffett, he, he actually never figured out, he just outsourced it. Uh, <laughs> he, he just wasn't his, you know, he was in his nineties now, he's, you know, business all the time. But, you know, there's gonna be a point in time when that's gonna be important to you if you want to oversee how your wealth will be used. Otherwise you die and somebody else is gonna probably do the wrong thing with it. So um, it takes time to, to, to build that capability and set things up. And you, of course, talked about finding new purpose uh, with, with Panthera. Yes. Um, Post-IDEX life. Focus. Focus leads to impact. And my focus is cats in the wild. You know, I like, look, I like elephants. You know, I like, I like uh, whales. You know, I like the environment, all that stuff. But my focus is cats and because um, I'm a cat guy. <laughs> Very much so. Before we go, uh, you know, you, you left Maine. Uh, you might not have been able to say goodbye to many of your employees or others here who are wondering how you're doing. Any, any message you'd like to tell them about how, how you are now? Or... Yeah, well, it, that's exactly, it was all very abrupt and unexpected. And I just like, I feel bad because I like just disappeared, you know, and I didn't really have any energy to do anything other than focus on my rehab. So I literally one day just disappeared without even having to say an opportunity to say goodbye or, you know, have a retirement party or anything like that. Um, so it was all very abrupt, but I do want to say to my IDEX colleagues, I, how proud I am about how uh, they've carried on the purpose of IDEX um, to enhance the health and well-being of pets, people, and livestock. And um, I do care greatly about their continued success. And it's not that I was being rude by disappearing from the scene. It was just the nature of the circumstance. Sure. And how can people learn more about wildcat conservation if they'd like to learn more about it? Well, I do keep things current on uh, my LinkedIn entry. And of course, if they want to contribute to wildcat conservation, they're inspired. Panthera, you know, panthera.org is, uh, is there. Great source of information. Great, I feel like I've learned a lot just from our conversation, so. Thank you. So, yeah. Again, Renee, thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's very meaningful to me. That no, thank you. We will close the loop, if we will, on, on uh, my time with IDEX and my time with me. 
The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Maine Biz media products at mainebiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.